and welcome to the Bestseller Experiment, a special deep dive episode of the podcast that we record exclusively for our patrons on Patreon and Academates on the Bestseller Academy. And it's something a bit different this week now. I may have mentioned once or twice that I've written a film called Unwelcome. Uh, I co-wrote the story with the director, John Wright, and then I pootled off and wrote the screenplay on my own. And as you'll hear, we you know, worked on it back and forth. Uh, John and I have worked together previously on Robot Overlords. Actually, we've worked on all kinds of stuff over the years, but those are the two things that have been made so far, uh, such as the life of a screenwriter. Uh, John is also the director of films like Grabbers and TV shows like Brassic and Dalgleish. Back in the summer of 2021, while all the press stuff was being recorded for the film, John and I gathered questions from the BXP team and Academy members about the making of the film and set out to answer them. So we talk about how we work together, how he works with the actors and crew, and generally how a film is developed and made. Uh, a big thanks to everyone who sent in the questions. We had great fun recording it, as you'll see and hear. The film is out on 27th of January 2023 in the UK, 10th of March in the USA, and the rest of the world dates all over the place. But I'll, if you follow me on social media, you will know. Uh, in the meantime, here's the trailer, followed by myself and John. Enjoy. We've been gifted this beautiful house. We live here. Can you believe it? Maeve wanted to keep the place in your family, Jamie. We really appreciate the house. Well, then you know. It's got a hole in the roof. The Whelan's, they'll do a good job. Jamie, Mayor, you just carry on with your day as if we weren't here. There is one thing I need to show you, and it's a little bit peculiar. Every evening before sunset, she'd leave a blood offering here. Sorry, did you say blood? For who? For the Red Cups. They'll be hungry. Can I get in my own house, please? You own it, dear. How many times have the English come to this country and told us what's theirs is now theirs? They need to know their place. Tim! What did you leave out tonight? Oh, shoot. You can't miss a single day. Anyone there? I can't be scared. Not in my own house. Don't leave your missus alone with the lads. Help me! They'll need feeding. Right, shall we do some Tracy uh, Montage? Montague. Oh, I see. <laughs> I was like, is this a sort of technical term? That's uh, Tracy Montage. Yeah, like, <laughs> we did a very good one of those. Sorry. Have you had a drink? No, I'm sorry. No, I tip. did have a. I did have a protein bar. All oh, right, excess of sugar and caffeine. Protein bar. <laughs> Just basically uh, a topic. 
you remember, you remember topics. Yeah, topics. Do they still have topics? They yeah. do, aren't they? They're probably smaller. Do you know what I find interesting is that sweets haven't really changed since we were kids. A lot. Well, they got smaller. And I know that they're all the same. But they have all the same brands. Yeah. I'd have thought that would have all moved on like, like many times. You still have a Crunchy. Yeah. You still have a Mars and, and a Twix. Twix. It's it's not Mars anymore, is it? No, Mars is Mars. It's is it? uh, Marathon became Snickers, of course, okay. famously. And uh, Opal Fruits became stuck. What the fuck which, are we talking which about? Which listener? <laughs> John, keep these listeners in check. John, I've got some uh, listener questions from the uh, listeners of the bestseller experiment. Um, you sort of dropped into a mode then, didn't you? I have. This is my interview. <laughs> you like it? Yeah. It's only your voice with a bit this of is, this, is, uh, this is my interview. <laughs> your podcast. This is interview voice. voice. Podcast yeah. voice. Yeah. A lot sexier when you're doing your podcast. <laughs> it's got the secret. Quite unattractive normally. The, the secret. <laughs> <laughs> the secret is to get close to the mic. So. Oh, mm, yeah. Just that distance. Yeah, that distance. Mm. <laughs> Don't put yourself off. <laughs> okay. <clears throat> so we have some listener questions mm. from the listeners of the bestseller experiment. Oh, I like that podcast. It's a good podcast. Who does that? Oh, well, <laughs> um, he's good. <laughs> the other one's not much good, though, is he? <laughs> Now, now. <laughs> you don't know who which one I'm <laughs> Now, <in>? exactly, yeah. <laughs> Sorry, Mark. <laughs> it's Mark I don't like. Start again. <laughs> <laughs> Just leave all these bits in, they're good. Mm. I, I would leave them in my film. Yes, yeah, yeah, yeah mm. you would, yeah. Yes. All right, okay. So, uh, first question <laughs> yeah. is from Tracy Montague. Yes. How long did you spend writing the screenplay? And I, I, I looked this up. So, because um, I keep a diary. How does that remind me of when you throw the cards away? That's like Jay Leno or somebody. Yeah. Who does that? Yeah. Who, don't, who fires the cards away? David Letterman? Possibly. I don't know. You don't know. I don't know. So, I, I keep a diary. So, I've got here. Oh, yeah. Tuesday, 26th of March, 20... John called me a what? <laughs> <laughs> You'll never have these published with blue language like that. John and I found a nook in the Continental Hotel restaurant in Whitstable yesterday. Yes, we did. And started working on ideas for Red Caps, which is what it was first called. Oh, right. Okay. Uh, it's coming together pretty fast. Uh, so, yeah. So, that was back in March 2019. And then March, no, February, Wednesday 19th of February. It was a year, wasn't it? 2020, yeah. Last night, John and I wrapped up the final tweaks on the little people title change, mm -hmm. with a two-hour collabo read. I'm going to have to explain what that is. Yeah. Uh, John promised to send it to Piers in the morning. I was set to put it out of my mind for the next few weeks. By lunchtime, Piers had not only read it, but loved it and wants to shoot in early 2021. And that was before, that was just weeks before the whole world. And he, and he beat his own deadline. Yeah. Which is saying something for Piers. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah. Well, a year isn't bad going at all, really. No, it's from a conversation to a script that then went into production. Yeah, if you do it in a year, there's not many. Yeah, do it that quick. So that's not going to happen every year then. But it could do. <laughs> could do. Yeah. But that is unusual, I think. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Would you not say? Amongst the people we know. Well, I mean, considering it was six years since the last film, so you know that's. Um... Yeah, I mean, I suppose in that oh, I've been distracted doing television. Distracted. Yeah. <laughs> Learning my craft. Learning your craft. Um, uh -huh. But the the collabo read, I mean, we've got a, 
There we go. A right. uh, question from Jeff Wright. How did you manage the script development process between the two of you? Because mm. um, you were working on TV shows and stuff, so we would have conversations yeah. about story and character and ideas. Then I'd go away, knock them into shape, send them to you. And then we, because even before lockdown, because you were in Manchester a lot of the time. Yes. So we would do it over phone or FaceTime or whatever. Yeah. Um, and we had what we call collabo reads, which is where uh, – we share a screen um, and uh, make it because you like it really big, don't you? You like the script really, really big on the screen. Yeah. And then we will read <laughs> and we'll do voices. We'll do the voices of the characters and read. And yeah, just but sometimes we do it in. I would say most of the collab reads are in real life, aren't they? When um, we're together. Those are the best ones. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah. So we sit on either side of the table and then. We'll read a scene, and then you'll be one character, and as soon as the character changes, I'll be that character. Mm. And then we just change, and then we do it the other way around. So then you start, so that I read every other line, and then you read every other line. And that way, we both get to hear yeah. the other lines done by somebody else. Yeah. But more to the point, you just hear it dramatised, don't yeah. you? Yeah, which is how I perfected my Irish accent. <laughs> Your, your accent was okay. You do some good accents, actually. Your impressions are good as well, I think, actually. <laughs> Sean Connery. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Well, Michael yeah. Caine. Well, that's just that's just when I slam my voice down. That's all that happens there. They're but, good, yeah. though. They're yeah. good. Yeah. yeah. Okay. But, yeah, that was... So, um, no, that doesn't really answer the question. No. How did you manage the script development process? Basically, for this one, so previously we've collab we collaborated where I'm a bit more of a co-writer. This one, I'd say it was probably the least co-writing that I've done. And it's also the most notes that I've given. Yeah. So I've, I've, we had meetings where I would be very detailed about what I thought could be better or different. Uh, sometimes I'd be prescriptive and I'd say, you should do this. And sometimes I'd say, I, I don't know what the answer is, but I want it to be more like this. Mm. Uh, and I was quite... Um, I felt I was quite brutal at certain points in the process. Like, gave you a lot of criticism and was quite negative. <laughs> uh, but well, you, wasn't it, you responded very well to all that. Well, thinking back, the first draft you didn't think was a goer, did you? No, I mean we, we I had we had a meeting where I said, "Look, I've got to be honest with you. I don't think I'm going to direct this, so I don't want you." I, what I was guilty about was you were working for free, essentially. Which is what they always tell you not to do. Yeah, but that's yeah, what writers do. <laughs> but they always say, they always say, that's the sort of modern day advice is to say, you should never work for free. Always make sure you're paid. But I, I, I'm not sure that's true, actually, because I think a lot of things happen mm. if you're willing to work for free that wouldn't happen ordinarily. However, at this point, you had just bought into the idea and you were mad keen to do it. And I said, oh, you know what, I'm not sure of this draft, if I'm going to make this film, because on the basis of this draft, I'm not going to. Um, and I just wanted you to be aware of that, because I didn't want you to spend loads of time working and then we don't make the film, because then it's just a waste of energy, isn't it? Well, that's a director talking there, because I, at least at the end of it, and because it was a solo writing credit, I would at least have a spec, I would have a sample. Yeah. And I think it's important if you're writing screenplays to have a good sample every year. And, uh, you know, have something new that you can show people. So, And I yeah. was enjoying it. I was enjoying it. And my first draft's always rough as balls anyway. So uh, it was... Well, to give you your due, I said, look, it's your choice, but I'm not committing to directing it. 
it's your choice if you want to keep working on it. And you said, uh, I definitely do. And you were quite driven about it. Mm. And then later when we actually got the film finance, I said to you, you know what, give yourself a big pat on the back because you were the one who drove it forward when I was willing to stop. Mm. You, you, it was definitely, I said, you've got to give yourself your due and your, your due, whatever money's coming to you and whatever praise you get for the movie or whatever, because you were the one who said, who didn't accept no and pushed on. Well, it was a very personal project as well. That was the thing. It was, mm. um, and we can talk about that later maybe, but. Well, that's one of the notes, that's one of the things that made, when it got a lot better, I can't remember if I said this to you or you decided it or. But you decided to put more of yourself into it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And make it more about things that had happened to you in Epsom. And, yeah. and then when you did that, the script sort of came to life and it went up a gear and it was just so, so, such a better, so much better as a script. So that's kind of interesting, isn't it? Because that almost suggests that you should... Right from the heart. Yeah, or put yourself in it. Yeah. Well, that's what... And it's Mark DeVoe's question, co-presenter. Oh, I know him. Yeah, yeah. Lovely voice. Yes, Lovely he, voice. He's got a he's yeah. got a very good speaking voice. Very good speaking His mum would be proud. <laughs> when was the moment you knew you had a great screenplay? And I think that was when that was the was, moment. Yeah, when you when you put yourself into it. I think that was. Yeah, it was that draft that you came back with, mm. and you'd put more of your own personality into it, and you'd gone further. Mm. And it, it was weirder, actually. It was more <laughs> extreme, wasn't it? Mm. Yeah. And then that's when I clicked with it. I was like, oh. What I find interesting about it is when I watch the movie, sometimes it, I almost cringe about how similar I feel I am to Doug, yeah. Doug's character. <laughs> like I even look, at, I don't look like Doug, but he's, he's you know, he's a bit, there's a bit yeah. of a resemblance. Yeah. Yeah. Doug always said it. Doug was like, oh, I look like you. <laughs> and it, I, it's interesting that it's your script, but mm. I feel like a lot of ownership, if you like, of that character and I sort of almost cringe like oh god it's quite revealing quite a lot about but that's what I think what happens when you as a writer if you dig down into specifics you that's where you tend to find the stuff that people relate to the the stuff you think oh god is anyone going to get this is anyone going to understand this and weirdly that's the stuff that resonates with people the most yeah Um, when you go the personal becomes universal yeah yeah yeah, yeah, it's weird isn't it Uh, the thing I think is there's two different tracks you can be on so you can be up there doing Marvel or Disney or you know Star Wars or one of those huge franchises and then you're in then you're making a product which is very commercialized and follows formula and you know that's a different thing. People go to see those movies for a different experience. They mm. just want to see loads of stuff smashed up. Yeah, spectacle. Everything on the biggest scale and mm. lots of cool lines and one-liners and stuff. This type of movie where you're way down in a very different furrow. Um, so we made this for seven and a half million quid, uh, which in, for a movie is not a lot of money. So um, you have to be different and you have to go to different places and show people things they don't normally get. Mm in order to compete with those huge franchises. Yeah. So we kind of did that. We went to lots of different extremes and, and put a lot of our own personalities into it and, uh, and made it very specific. And I think it's, it's much better as a result. Yeah, I think so. I think that, because one of the lessons from Robot Overlords as well is I think we tried to be a bigger movie than we were. And actually the yeah. thing that makes... The, the bits I still love about that film the most are the rough edges, the weird bits. 
the, the, the funny lines, the strange lines and stuff like that. And we took a lot of those out. We smoothed a lot of those edges well, off. Well, I think, you know? I think we, we suffered because it was so it tested so well with the target audience and they liked it so much and they kept likening it to big movies like Transformers and things like that mm. that it then became this pressure that built up to make that this is a really commercial movie yeah. and so you've kind of almost got to treat it like a commercial movie yeah. and so we took out a lot of the weird quirky goofy stuff mm. and some of the bad language and all that kind of thing and um, I don't think that it, it really should have been polished like that because mm. it actually all along was a small movie. Yeah, yeah, and yeah. It, it was like I said in this fur, in the furrow, the different furrow. Mm. So yeah, but that's with hindsight. We didn't really yeah. know that at the time. And it's probably the only kids' movie out there with bare knuckle boxing in it. So you know. yeah, there's a lot of things. <laughs> I mean, there's a lot of things in there that aren't in any other movies. But yeah, um, yeah, yeah, it kind of then fell a little bit between two stools, didn't it? Yeah, 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 yeah. So we learned that lesson. We learned that lesson. We've, we've, we've made all sorts of new mistakes. Don't worry. Um, Alex Waite has a question for you, John. Do you That's s- a good name. Do you... Do you, uh, do you That's s- like a made-up name. Is this a real question? It's a real... Per- Alex so is a real... So there's a person called Alex Waite. Alex Waite, yes. Hello, Alex. Thank you for your question. He sounds like a character. <laughs> One of your characters. Of I characters. Have to, uh, yeah, exactly. It's like going to be the question's going to be, <laughs> John, why do you like Mark so much? <laughs> Funny you should say that. Yeah. Why is Mark so brilliant? Um, John, do you storyboard and previs sequences and how do you block sequences? Oh, that's a big question. That is a big question. Uh, Welcome to Film Directing 101. Yes. Uh, do I storyboard... Yes, I storyboard action sequences, but I don't storyboard dialogue sequences. Yeah, because that'd just be head in the head. Could be. Yeah. I mean, it depends. Sometimes you have a good idea for a shot, but you, yeah. there's nothing to be gained by drawing it. But I do draw all the action sequences. So what would be useful or interesting would be to get the storyboards as they were, and then put them up and see how they similar they are to the actual film. And I would. Oh, let's do that now. Can we? And then Kai can cut into that. Yeah. All right, yeah, we've got yeah. the power to do that. Yeah. <laughs> um, yes, we could do that. So normally they're not dissimilar, actually, the storyboards. I have a guy called Gabriel Shukan, who's a Swiss artist who I work with, and I've worked with a lot. And he sort of, we, we kind of collaborate on the look of the movie. So I come to him with a lot of ideas, and then he will always offer stuff up. And between the two of us, we work out all the shots. And the, and the cameraman, the DP, Director of photography has a lot of input into that. Previs I have done, which is like computer-generated previs, but I prefer drawing it because it's a bit more um, uh, vague. And the vagueness is helpful when you're on a low-budget set because uh, you can't necessarily make the previs exactly like the set you've got and what you've got, whereas drawings are just a little bit more suggestive. Because we had previs on robots, didn't we? Which was quite new and snazzy then as well, wasn't it? It was quite new-ish. Yeah, I think previs is amazing if you can build the set to exactly match the previs um, so that you can literally do it. If, you, if your set is a bit of a movable feast, um, it can be a bit of a, a nuisance, actually, previs. Uh, but previs is great, yeah. It's amazing now. It's got much better. And how do you block sequences? Mm. Right, well, <laughs> have we got time for this? <laughs> uh, you, you, turn, you, you turn up on set, and the actors turn up as well. And then normally I would have um, channels worked out. And by that I mean 
areas that I want them to be in. Mm -hmm. So I've already consulted with the director of photography and said, where would they look good? You know, they'll say, well, if, you, if they stood by the bar or they stood by the window or, you know, there's areas where people will look great. Right, right. And I'll already have an idea about that. So then I will say to the actors, okay, how do you want to do this? But I will steer them into those channels if I can. So I'll say, you're going to look great in these areas here, in this cross here. So if you were to approach here and if that person would come in, and I'll quite often have an idea of what, you know, I suggest what I think they might do. You might could come over here or you could come over here, but I, I'm always open to change. And then they do it and they feel how it, they rehearse it. They feel what it's like. And then sometimes they think, oh, that doesn't feel natural. I wouldn't do that. I would do this. And then they change things. And eventually you get to a point where they're acting it and they feel good and it feels right and it looks good. And then I'll say to the DP who's been watching the whole time with me, or not necessarily the first rehearsal, but he'll watch pretty soon, like second or third rehearsal. I'll be sort of looking at him the whole time when they're rehearsing and, and we'll be making signals to each other like, that could be a good shot there. That would be nice. And then we'll talk quickly and we'll say, you could do a big dolly push in there. And, you know, we'll already have some ideas. We'll basically often go to a scene knowing one great shot. Right. That's going to look really cool if we did that. And often you can build your sequence around one great shot. So that would be my advice, I suppose, if I was giving someone advice about how to block a scene. I would say work out your coolest shot, your best shot, the one that you're most excited by in the scene and shoot that first and then see what else you need. Because sometimes you shoot it with that super cool shot and you think, you've got it, you know. That was it. Or you think, no, it's easy. All we need is that. We need to look back on that character when they said that line. Right. And then we've got it. And that thing of deciding first and agreeing with the DP mm. where they're going to look best, yeah. I guess that saves you a lot of time, doesn't it? Because the alternative is you go, you walk in and you go, oh, I'd like them to be over there. And then the DP's like, well, that's going to be really oh. difficult to light. I did it when I was less experienced, so I would let them go a bit more free, the actors, and I'd say I wouldn't encourage them. Into, like, just let them be free. Do whatever you want, you know. Mm. And then they just you just do the scene. But like, say for example, somebody's cowering from somebody. Instinctively, when you cower from somebody, you scramble to the darkest corner in the room, you know. So they would scramble into a corner, and then someone would come and stand over them and shout at them. And then the DP you could just see, you know, they were just thinking, oh, there's literally <laughs> in the worst place in this entire. We've got this fantastic location, yeah. and they've gone into. A completely pitch black hole in the corner where yeah. I can't get any lights in and then you'd spend a lot of time they're fighting against the reality of where the actors have positioned themselves so I've now learned to try and preempt that and sort of it's often not very complicated you know if you stand in a shaft of light you're going to look good if the light's hitting you from behind or the side you know that's a channel for the actors to be in but I try not to nail it down and actually say you've got to stand here you've got to yeah, stand yeah, here because yeah. then they can feel a bit limited and constricted and they don't get to try things which is important as well because that was because i made short films in mm -hmm. my youth and we had a proper lighting camera operator and uh it that's the thing mm. that always shocked me was just how long it took to light anything and it's um it's yeah. a dark art it's a dark art and it can really take up time can't it it can yeah and there's a, there's a reason why some of the big budget shows look so amazing. It's because they spend uh, 
like while lighting them and they're very careful with their lighting and just takes time, you know. Cool. Mm. Thank you for your question, Alex, if that is your name. Mr. Wait. <laughs> uh, I think this is from Mr. DeVoe again. Where did the inspiration for the Far Darig come from? Well, you should answer that. Yeah, well, I, I, I'd... Um, I mean, we we both, you were born in Ireland, I've got Irish family, and we'd heard all the stories, you know, and, and um, knew some of the mythology. Yeah. Uh, and we, you know, we started talking about leprechauns and little people and stuff like that. And I, uh, there were a couple of books, um, there's one by Kit Cox called Morningwood, there's one by C. Robert Cargill, uh, Dreams and Shadows, where they talk about red caps specifically, right. which... Um, I, th- I think I'm probably f- found more in Britain, uh, whereas Far Darig are the like, Irish version of that. But I think Far Darig are more prankstery well, kind we, of goblins. Yeah, they're in Irish mythology as um, goblins that kill people and then they dip their dip blood, them, soak yeah. their caps in the blood of their victims, yeah. Yeah. and then put the cap back on. So they're like sort of malevolent gnomes, kind of in mythology. Yeah. But what we liked was that we were taking the old Irish cliche of leprechauns, and then doing something quite different with it and yeah. unexpected. So the word leprechaun is used in the movie. Yeah. Sort of three times or something. Mm. Um, but always like these aren't that. This yeah. is something different. Yeah. But it is based on a like an existing sort of folk tale, isn't it? Mm. Yeah. I mean, the thing is, once you start digging into this and researching it, yeah you find that people can't agree on anything. There is no... It's not... It's all made up, isn't it? Exactly. (laughs) They're not real. Uh, There is no kind of formalised mythology in the same way that some religions have. So, you know, there's... um, You you can have a bit of fun with that. And that's the thing is... is It's a very rich scene um, of story, Irish mythology. It's not really... I mean, you've got the uh, cartoon saloon films, you know, Song of the Sea and and stuff like that. Yeah, which are great... Which are absolutely love brilliant. Those bits. Absolutely brilliant. And they're the only ones really doing anything like that. So, yeah. Um, but as we used a whole... There's a fusion of different mythologies there, isn't it? Because there's the, the, the fairies who steal... The changeling. There's changeling the, thing. The changeling yeah, mythology yeah, yeah. where yeah, yeah. you steal a baby and swap it for one that looks the same, mm. but it's actually a fairy. And then that baby's like very troublesome and difficult. Yeah. Nobody knows why. Yeah. So there's that has been threaded in there as well. Mm. But my, my uh, granddad, who was a farmer, um, said he tried to build a wall at the bottom of his garden three times. Mm. And every night, he got when he got up, the wall had been knocked down by the mm. fairies. So he accepted that there was a fairy she yeah. at the bottom of his garden. Now, he actually believed that. Yeah. He, he wasn't um, being funny when he said that. He thought that was true. Yeah. Well, when we went to the Isle of Man, when we were yeah. filming, and the taxi... Uh, we went over the fairy bridge. That's right. And you've got to say hello to the fairies. Yeah, and I mean, they're, they're everywhere. Any, anywhere Celtic, mm. there's a lot of talk about little people and fairy she's and Tiernanog, you know, the land yeah, of the yeah. fairies and yeah. all of that. Yeah. So, you know, we like all that, don't we? All good stuff. Uh, another one from Mr. D. What moment was the most fun you had creating the film? Okay, I have my own idea for this. Go on in. Well, do you remember the day we got a whiteboard? Your whiteboard. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And we said... <laughs> Okay, we're two teenagers, <laughs> and we, we're going to go and see this movie, and what we're interested in is the way the goblins are killed. Yeah, yeah. And we want to see them killed in loads of inventive ways. Yeah. And we basically wrote down every single creative way we could, we could think of, the goblin, of a goblin being murdered. Yeah. 
and we went around your house yeah. and we looked at every household object in every room of the house and we were like, you could do this, you could do that. And in fact, we cooked up like, I don't know, like probably 10 times more deaths than are in the movie. More than the budget could cope with. <laughs> we didn't, they didn't necessarily even go in the script, did they? But we still got that. Yeah. So if we were ever to do like a... Sequel. Yeah, a sequel. Yeah. And it's, They're in the uh, bank. Yeah. I've got a picture of that somewhere. That um, felt very childish, childish in a good way, though, didn't oh, it? Oh, it was gleeful. Absolutely gleeful. Yeah. It was great. I was sort of cackling to myself. So. I mean, we've had a lot of fun on this show, really, because uh, we laugh a lot when we're... Yeah. Yeah, um, yeah. When we're working together, make each other laugh a lot. Yeah. It's no, not it's, really like work, is it? Oh, God, no. It's not my proper job. I've had one of those. Oh, they're rubbish. Um, <laughs> what surprised you most about making the movie? Uh, well, there's probably a whole bunch of answers to that. But the one I will give you <laughs> is uh, um, what was weird is as soon as we started shooting it, it had its own atmosphere. Mm-hmm. that I didn't know where it came from S- straight away as soon as I saw the rushes cut together I was like oh it's got this particular atmosphere um, <clears throat> now I didn't feel I was directly responsible for that obviously I was directing it and doing it with a very particular intention but that, that atmosphere just came it felt like it came of its own accord and I don't know why that where that comes from it was interesting because it it held through the whole film and it was there and it's in the finished film um, just a tone like a mood you know yeah and you can't I guess as a director you don't fight that you let that happen do you oh I liked it yeah yeah. it wasn't like I didn't like the mood I was like yeah. hey, this is good okay, yeah. but I didn't know it, it didn't feel it felt like it arrived it felt like it came out of the actors and the designer and the, the cameraman and everybody's understanding of the script and then it just came through that that was uh, interesting. Yeah, I guess every project's a bit like that. It sort of has its own life, and then you feel a bit like uh, you know, like you're a conductor. You conduct um, a channel. Yeah, you know, you're channeling it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like a bit. medium. Well, a little bit. Yeah, I had to get all, <laughs> don't want to get all kind of spooky and supernatural. Yeah, yeah. But yes, yeah. exactly like that. Yeah. Well, it's a it's a process of mass interpretation, isn't it? A whole mm-hmm. bunch of people read the same document, yeah. which and they go off and they bring themselves to it. Yeah, they bring something new and fresh to it, different angle. You know, production design. I mean, someone like John Beard, the production designer. Yeah, you know, just looking at that house and that wall and that garden and the, everything about it, it was um, it was uncannily like what I had in my head, but so much better. You know, uh, and um, yeah, I guess. He- you have a lot of conversations with those people along the way where they kind of go, what about this? What about that? And then you say, no, 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 it's meant to be like this. And then gradually they get into the groove and they get the idea. And then after a while, those conversations dwindle to almost nothing because mm. they know. They know. Yeah. There's yeah, a time yeah. I always think on set about halfway through, three quarters of the way through, where you sort of feel, you know what? I could almost not be here now. Right. <laughs> I could almost not be here because so, everybody knows now. Yeah. They know what's right and what's wrong. Is that is that kind of part of the director's job, sort of making sure everyone's on the same page? Is yeah. that part of your day? Is just you, you spend know, a you spend a lot of time correcting mistakes, right? Just things people have misunderstood or they've gotten wrong or I'm going to do this no you shouldn't do that you know that's a lot of it is re-steering yeah um, yeah huge huge chunk of it really mm. that's why you can't disappear sadly 
<laughs> you can't have half an hour off because then there'll be a mistake made and you yeah, won't be there yeah. to spot it. Yeah. Uh, question from Julian Barr. Oh, hello, Julian. Uh, what are the benefits of having the writer on set now? Are there any benefits to having a writer on set? I mean, uh, well, it's nice having you around. Uh, when they let me. <laughs> they sent me home. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, I tested positive. Oh, God, yeah. It was a full, <laughs> and it, about that. It was a false positive. Writer yeah. with COVID. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> They're not so good. Yeah. They're not very helpful. Um, yeah, the benefits of having a writer. Well, to be honest, by the time I get to set, we have been over it and over it and over it. And I kind of know who everybody is and why everything is the way it is, yeah. particularly the way we work. Yeah. Um, so often being truthful when you come for your set visits, it is lovely to see you and it's very nice for everybody to say, this, this is Mark. Oh, wow, you wrote these words. Thank you so much. And, and it's lovely, nice. lovely for you to see it yeah. and to see, and it brings it to life for you, obviously. But I, I wouldn't say I spent a whole lot of time going to you, Mark, what about this? No. What about that? We we had one conversation with Colm. Yeah. And that was it. Yeah, yeah. And that was only because I was there. It was honest. really, yeah. I mean, yeah. I suppose what does happen is when I'm shooting, you'll time the phone will ring. Mm. And I'll say, what about this, Mark? Mm. Um, and you'll be like, well, you know, and we'll, we'll have a chat. But more often than not, I'm ringing you saying, right, what's happened is I've just shot this scene and it changed. Mm. Um because it didn't feel good to do it that way and the actor did it this way. So that's had a knock-on effect. So we've got to change a scene down the line yeah. Yeah. where this happens and now this needs to happen. And you're, this is where you're fantastic is you'll be like, no problem. And mm. next thing I know, my email pings and mm. I've got the new scene and we have a chat about that. And so kind of the writing process continues in parallel with the shoot, doesn't it? Yeah, I mean, that's, a the, little bit. that's the thing I learned a lot on Robots is that the script, once you go into production, the script just is becomes fluid. It's not the document. It's just a document. It's yeah. just a jumping off point. Yeah. And then it evolves and becomes something and then changes happen. And as you say, you know, yeah, and you just got to, you can resist that, which is the road to madness and unhappiness, I think. Or you can go, okay, right, how do we, how do we work with this? I don't. Th I think it, it's a very punishing experience for people who resist. Mm. It's not an enjoyable no. experience. If you're in, if you're in instinct, if like you, if you're an instinctive collaborator, mm. somebody who likes working with other people, then you're probably better suited to doing it. Mm. Um, and I think that's probably a, that's a fantastic bit of advice you could give a new screenwriter: is bend, don't break. You know, the changes will come. They come all the time, you know this, mm. because of pra for practical reasons. Um, and it's good, I think, certainly the films I make and the style I like personally, to be flexible and fluid and not be too rigid and to sort of say, wouldn't it be better if we did this? Wouldn't that be better? And then mm. to change it on the day or, you know, change the script. Um, and I think the best thing a writer can do, from my point of view, is when those changes come to them is just do them really fast and not argue why they shouldn't happen. Or, I mean, obviously, if there's a good reason, of course you argue. And sometimes there is a good reason not to make a change. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But more often than not, the change is going to happen because it's to do with schedule or to do with location. I think if you're on set, 
you have a better appreciation of why those things happen. So you'll see that you know there may have been a perfectly good route. There was a problem with the lights, or some of the location, or someone was ill, or you know for whatever reason there was a change. You go, okay, this clearly isn't going to work. We're going to have to do something differently. Whereas if you're at home and the phone rings, it's like, why can't you just do what I wrote? My beautiful words. You can feel a bit. Um, writers spend so much time on their own; they can lose sight a little bit of the bigger picture. And it is good in that way to come to set and yeah. see all those people beavering away and that sort of, you know, that huge team. Mm. Um, and then the furious pace that we all work at. Yeah. yeah. Uh, it, it's great for them to see that and have an understanding of that and then go, okay, you know, am I helping or hindering mm. that process? Yeah. But it's a tricky balance, isn't it? Because you don't want to give in to things that are wrong. That's important not to do that as well. You're yeah. the, Often the writer is the person that can stop Change has been made for the wrong reason. Does it ever put the actors off thinking, oh, God? I think it does. <laughs> I think it does. I've, I've been on sets where they're quite free with the dialogue and it gets better as a result because yeah, they're, yeah, 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 yeah. they're, <laughs> yeah, they're making it um, their own, you know. So they act it better yeah. because they're, they're making it work for themselves. And then the writer arrives and suddenly all that stops. <laughs> literally stops until the writer leaves and it all starts again and you think okay all right is that a tv thing though where the writer has a bit more clout uh i mean i wouldn't want to put anyone off no i mean i'm joking i didn't give anyone the evil eye no no i'm joking i'm joking really um no you're a very uh Nice person to have around, no problem. <laughs> TV can be interesting because sometimes I've been on TV sets uh, where I've been told by the executive producers, you shoot the script mm. verbatim. Right. You do not change a single word. Now, that's particular production companies, particular producers I'm thinking of. But, um, you know, it's interesting because then you, you really respect the writer's vision. Mm. So everybody speaks with one voice if you like um the flip side of that if you get an actor who's not great at delivering scripted lines and making them seem real mm. is they're str- really struggling to make it good mm. and you know if they just loosened it up a bit they'd be absolutely fine but yeah they, yeah they just never get there and so there's kind of swings and roundabouts yeah i mean i don't mind as long as they make me look good <laughs> yeah well that's my job is is to sort of catch the changes that aren't good and say yeah. don't do that yeah. yeah you know not let people you know there's a world in which you let people improvise a lot and then they start swearing a lot and yeah. it's just Sorry. shooting all over the place bless, bless you, you. <laughs> <laughs> that's how I should hold it I was like shit 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 it's alright we have sneezes in this one what's it like to watch your story transform from a document into a living breathing film um, it's the best it's question for you yeah it's the best thing ever it's the best thing ever. And it is that the, the changes are, um, I mean, very often the changes are ones that make me think, oh, I wish I'd thought of that, or I wish I'd thought ahead of what that might mean. Um, but it's brilliant. I mean, first of all, it's the actors, because we had a, uh, a, a day's rehearsal with Jamie and Chris mm-hmm. and Christian, mm-hmm. uh, which was so much fun. And they play the siblings in this, and just seeing them together, you just... So, oh, this is going to be great. This is going to, oh, this is so much fun. And of course, you know, you, you work with them and I've, you know, worked in theatre and worked with actors and it's, it's, you learn to let them take ownership of it. 
you know, they 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 see something in yeah. it, and then they bring themselves in it, and then it's it's a merging of the two yeah. into something even better. And um, just see, I mean, I mean, Chris and Jamie Lee, they were the first ones to arrive. They just immediately, I just thought, oh, this is so good. This is going to be so much fun. And it, which was nice because later on in the film, there was an opportunity to write an extra scene for That's the right. pair of them uh, and give them more to do, which was such a treat. And the the good thing then was I knew what they were capable of. And uh, I just, whereas, you know, when you're writing a first draft, you have no idea. You might have some idea of actors you want for the roles. Yes. But uh, this, I knew what they could do. I knew their voices and I knew what I could give them. And it was yeah. so much fun. Well, that's the beauty of TV is that yeah. they get to do the first series and then everybody's cast. And then when you come to write the second series, yeah. you can write it for the actors and you've already seen they are great at that, great at that. They're not yeah. so good at that. And then the writing goes up a gear, you know. Yeah. But then you had a little microcosmic opportunity there because it was one of those changes that we talked yeah. about. Con Meany wasn't available mm. for a particular scene. And then we were like, well, what if the two kids came in and did the scene instead? Yeah. And you very quickly wrote um, what I thought was a great scene. Yeah. They loved it and they played it brilliantly. Yeah, it's, it, and it's that thing of doing a quick re rewrite. And this yeah. is advice for writers as well. Mm -hmm. Write like you're rewriting on set. Like, you know, you're not second-guessing yourself. You're just thinking, God, I've got to do this in an hour. Tap it, tap it, tap it, tap it. Without fear, without second-guessing yeah. yourself. And it's always better. But that's always a skill, better. isn't it? I mean, how do you, how do you, how have you got so you can write so quick? How do you do that? Well, I, I that's the thing. I mean, I, the thing I'm working on at the moment, for example, I'm not, looking back i'm just going going ahead going ahead because because once you've done it you a follow few your, times, you follow your instinct yeah yeah right. what's the most interesting thing that can happen next and i i've learned to think more thematically as well once i have a theme in place an idea mm. i use that to build the scene up from that and uh right you, you just keep and and the thing is once you've done this a few times you you have the confidence to know i can go back and fix that later Whereas what, I think when you're starting out, you know, this has all got to be right first time. And mm. it, it just doesn't have to be. And I think what's happened with us quite a few times is you send me a scene and I've said, no, it's, it's wrong. And I, but the conversation is what gets us to where we need to yeah. go. Yeah, yeah. So I say, I was hoping for this or it, this doesn't work because of this. And then you go, I know what it should be now. Yeah. Whereas if you don't have that conversation mm. and you don't get That's that first true. version across to me, then you, you're on your own. You yeah. Know. Yeah. And that's, I mean, the difference is when I'm writing novels, I'm writing for myself. And I have that conversation a lot further down the line when I read it, read a draft. Mm -hmm. I finish a draft, I put it away, then come back to it and I read it. Well, that doesn't work. That doesn't work. That's okay. That's good. When I'm writing a film, I'm writing for you in the first place because mm -hmm. you, you're the one who's on set with the sides and has to yeah. make sense of, of what it is. So if, if it's not clicking for you, then I have to make changes so that it works for you. Well, that's good. That's good in that you're quite. You seem quite reconciled to that. Yeah. Like right. you sort of you're you're up for it. Yeah. Now. Yeah. yeah. And it's nice. What I find nice is when you see the rough cuts, the assemblies, which is the edits they do at the end of every week. Um, you you always seem quite pleased with it. It's very. Re I mean. Yeah, you're always like, I love it. It's great. <laughs> I'm, just, I'm just happy to be working. <laughs> so no, but it's I that think makes it's, it easier. I think it? it's because we've done that due diligence beforehand. Yeah, that because I mean, you said uh, it's something you said to me very early on when we were working together. You said there's nothing worse than having a page and thinking I 
don't know what this means. I don't know what yeah, their intention not, was. Worse. I don't know how to do this, you know, and that's mm. because you haven't had that conversation with the writer beforehand or the writer has maybe so dug their heels in or, you know. I mean, you, sometimes you have a scene which you, objectively it's good, where you know it's good, but it, for you, it's not good. Mm. So you just think, I, I don't quite know how to do it, but I could imagine it like in somebody else's show and another director could do this, but I just, it doesn't click for me. Mm. And it's, I think it's really important that you change it. Yeah. Um, because I've directed those scenes and they never turn out that well. They always, you know, they're always exactly that. They just don't, it doesn't quite click. Yeah. And that's it's not, great if the writer comes to help you. Yeah. It says, I'll give you the version that you click with. You know? Yeah. I mean, that's, that's not to say a writer should be a pushover. Like there are no. times when you can say, well, look, it, you know, clearly my intent is not, this is what I was going for. And you might go, oh, okay, well maybe let's try this, that and the other. But, um, cause sometimes I'm under pressure. I'm under pressure from above and I might come with something I'm a bit like I'm not 100% but we should do this and often the writer can be the person who's like we shouldn't do that mm. that's a bad idea and that's when it's it's important not to be a pushover mm. they've got to be a gatekeeper yeah. and stop bad changes being made because yeah. you can make any change you want but it always has to be equal or better yeah. it can never be worse yeah. although okay, you know in truth sometimes you make worse changes simply because of budget. In, in other words, you wanted it to be three things happen and it has yeah, to be yeah. two. Well, that's life. It's better to do two because if that's all you can afford, that's all that's ever going to happen. Yeah. 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 Cool. Uh, I think this is Julian again. Any tips for working with producers? I think of writer, director, producer as a triumvirate. I, I think it's more of a an upside down pyramid with the writer at the bottom. Oh, really? <laughs> God. <laughs> That's no, just right. A writer paranoia. belittling themselves. <laughs> How rare. Well, we're, we're very How rare. A writer putting themselves down. We're very lucky with Piers, aren't we? Piers is a proper doer and he, you know. Yeah, he's a good producer. Yeah. We, we, we have a good relationship with him. I would say any, rela- any relationship, and this goes for producers and financiers, is exactly that. It's a relationship. So it's like anything. You try and get on with that person. You try and be clear. You try and be honest, reliable, you know. And treat them as a human being. Mm. You know, don't think of them as other. They tell, yes. try and be a good person to work with. Mm. I mean, that's something um, for your aspiring writers. Is a lot. You know, a lot of writers are difficult. <laughs> Can't imagine why. <laughs> <laughs> They're awkward. You know, they. they and, and producers are really nervous about that. They're always nervous about really? getting involved with somebody who's going to be awkward. Right. Who's not going to make changes. Who's not going to push a draft forward to a place where it gets financed. Right. Yeah. No, they, they are. They're wary about them. A lot of writers are eccentric or tricky or, you know. So that's what I've been doing wrong. <laughs> You're right. Don't worry. I'd say a lot of people will take a draft to 90%. And then they just won't take, do that final ten percent. I don't, I don't understand why. Mm. Because surely something that doesn't get made yes. is just a waste of life. Yeah. You want everything to get made, don't yeah, you? I really do. Good stuff. Jan Carr says, "What other genres and subjects do you want to make films of?" I mean, weird genres and subjects. Yeah. Uh, well, I'm at the moment getting quite uh, trying to pigeonhole myself as horror. Mm. Because uh, I feel like I've jumped around way too many genres and done far too many different 
styles and tones and people it would be more helpful to actually be known for something yeah and i'm very into this sort of psychological angle on horror that we've had in in unwelcome and that we've got in coming up in the next one if that happens mm. uh i'm really into that so i kind of think i'm happy to be in that niche but i would like to do um science fiction fantasy potentially and i would also be interested in um i'd love to do a film like eternal sunshine of the spotless mind all right uh, and then what would you categorize that as mm. yeah sort of a psychological drama psychodrama yeah yeah, yeah, psychodrama. Yeah. Well, I sort of feel like we're almost doing that with these horror shows a little bit. The, the next one especially. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. And last question from Jeff White. What's next? Can't really say, can we? Well, we can say it's a horror movie mm. called The Door. Peter. Mm. Mm. That's, yeah. That's it. Thank you, folks, for all your questions. Much appreciated. Yes, thank you. Hope it was helpful. Until next time, happy writing. Wave. Is that what you do? Yeah. Forgot there was a picture. (laughs) Thought it was a podcast. (laughs) 